Business owners, you have to speak to your politician. You have to fight for what you need. You have to go against every single politician that's going against you and your customers and your business, your future. That's where it has to be. You need to address this right away. If you're in business, you're in politics. If you're, that's that's the reality, right? You have to advocate for your business and your industry. I don't even want to say influence. You're just trying to expose them to make an informed decision. Or how about we try something a little bit different? Don't fight them, invite them. I'm Faisal Carmali and welcome to Carmali Exchange. Well, welcome. This is going to be very interesting. I'm talking to, uh, you know, about bankruptcy, going from that all the way to growing your business at 16 different locations. That's huge. Talking about being in an industry where it's pretty much saturated. There's so many players. How do you stand out from the rest? And I've been saying this for a long time now. Business owners need to get involved as advocates in the political stream, making sure their voices are heard. And we found someone who's doing all three in one shot. Please join me with Chris Smith, president and CEO of Fitness World. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today, Faisal. I want to get right into the whole bankruptcy thing. I think people need to understand what you went through. Walk us through the pandemic hits and you have to be you have to file for bankruptcy. What was what was the story behind that? Yeah, I mean, I can give you the quick Coles notes version of it. Um, you know, I was the president and CEO of an entity that uh, was formerly three different brands, 29 locations, and the ownership group of that business um, in the early days of the pandemic, made the decision to, you know, bankrupt that business and put that business into bankruptcy. One of, probably one of the first businesses in Canada uh, even to do so at that stage of, of kind of what was going on. Through that process and working with the bank and the trustees and all those uh, individuals, it was really suggested to me by others to say, hey, you might be the best person possible to, to buy this business and bring it out the other side. Frankly, at that point, I hadn't really even contemplated that as as something I was interested in doing. It was Pretty tough days, pretty dark days when you you know terminate or fire two thousand people and you're kind of the face of the business and taking a lot of the blame. But it really wasn't my decision to put into bankruptcy, but it certainly was my decision to to buy the business and bring it out the other side, right? Which ultimately I was fortunate enough to do, and the you know bank chose me as their partner on a go forward basis, and you know able to kind of complete an asset purchase agreement and put the business together in a way that we thought was sustainable uh, on a go forward basis, and that's what we've been able to do. Many business owners, general public, will consider bankruptcy a failure. And this is why I wanted to talk to you about this on the show. A situation like bankruptcy is not always a failure. It's, it's a point of recovery. It's a point of inflection. And it's a point where you can actually kick some fucking ass around here. And so I wanted to talk about how great you guys are doing now uh, since you've, you've come on board and, and taken over. Um, you have this asset purchase you now are at, I believe, 16 locations. Is, is Am I correct with that, 16 locations? Yeah, I mean, I, I right-sized the business. There was 29 locations. Uh, I closed a number of them if I didn't have a lot of confidence that, you know, based on what was going on. At that point, there were so many unknowns. Um, one of the kind of epic things that we were able to do is we were actually renegotiate all of our leases. So we either got, you know, significant addendums and or rewrote, you know, 15 commercial leases in 45 days as part of that reopening process. And even that experience alone, not to mention dealing with all the lawyers, the banks, the trustees, uh, all the other different you know professionals that you get an opportunity to interact with in a situation like this, yeah, there is some, some great learning if you're open 
to learning it. And then obviously, yeah, there's a lot of adversity that you got to push through a lot of early mornings, a lot of late nights and everything in between, but certainly an, an incredible experience for me and, and the team that I was able to put together. The media and social media have glamorized uh, entrepreneurs and business owners, but people don't realize that this is part of the shit that goes on when you're dealing with a business. And so how do you focus going forward and saying, this is where we're headed, even though we were just there at the point where we consider it bankruptcy or possibly some people will call it failure. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, my viewpoint certainly could be different than others. But, you know, when I look at the Canadian viewpoint, I look at the programs that were put in place and the things to kind of help businesses from an overall subsidy perspective. If you compare that to, say, the U.S., in Canada, we were actually very fortunate in the way in terms of how support was provided to business and really the access that was able to be provided. Um, obviously, hoops you had to jump through, like we're talking about the paperwork and the minutiae of getting through that versus obviously the day-to-day of what we want to be focused on is just making a difference for you know people in their day-to-day lives, providing you know world-class fitness services and amenities and, and all the things just help people move better, feel better, think better, all those types of things. But yeah, there's a lot more than that that goes into business. And I, I think you know the average individual certainly I think recognizes that at least at a high level, but certainly probably doesn't appreciate or understand the complexity um, that's involved in that. And again, particularly from a bankruptcy, that business had well north of 100,000 members. So a lot of those people are upset, right? And rightfully so. And so just even dealing with consumer affairs, right? Uh, start dealing with all of the contract stuff, dealing with all the banks, the credit card companies, all the things that went with that, certainly very, very complex. We made a lot of decisions early on strategically that we we're going to do a lot of goodwill. So we honored everything, right? We honored a bunch of memberships. Uh, we did a bunch of decisions that we thought were maybe not good for our bank account, but certainly the right thing for those communities and the right thing for those customers or members that we were wanting to stay members, right? And so we made a lot of those decisions early on to kind of do the right thing, which you know is often a cliche in business, uh, easier said than done, but that's what we did early on. And, and certainly we would say, you know, looking back, a lot of those decisions were definitely the right decision. When you look at where we are right now, a lot of people will say to me, the fitness industry is somewhat saturated. But your brand, holy shit, you guys are so well known. You've got such a great rapport with the public. You've got your members love you. What are you guys doing that's so different that can compete with the competition? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, So when you look at kind of what we've done, everything from the branding to the paint to the light package to the music that's there, you know, we want an energy. We want a vibe. We want that kind of place away from home, if you will. And what we do know after the pandemic on businesses that and industries that were challenged you know, we certainly know that businesses that offer a service are, are really thriving, particularly those that offer great service. And so everything that we can do to provide world-class customer service, treat people the right way. You know, we look at our Google reviews and our Google reviews are some of the highest, not just in our marketplace, but, but frankly, the industry. And so, you know, we look at that and that's going from worst to first, because uh, certainly coming out of the bankruptcy, people weren't saying a lot of great things. You know, and that was really just a reflection again. Of I went, I went to the public, I went to members, I went to a lot of people. I said, "Hey, what should we do? What should be different? How should we build this business? What would be a gym that you'd want to keep coming to? What would be a place that you'd want to tell your friends about?" And getting all those answers and all those surveys, both formal and informal, you know, anecdotal, data, subjective, objective, you name it, getting all that information to kind of say, "Okay, well, this is what consumers are asking for." And I think that's what separates your comp- you from your competition is your community focused, not cookie cutter. It's not the same type of experience in each community because every community within the lower mainland is different. 
There's different demographics. There's different needs. Right. Whether that be to have child minding in a club versus to not have child minding. Is that a community where really there's young parents or is it a community that's made up of more working professionals that aren't in that place and phase of their life? And so we've really kind of adapted each of our clubs to really meet the community where they want to be. And that's been a really good formula for us. Chris, the next point that I wanted to bring up was about you getting involved in the political side because I've talked to a lot of business owners across this country. A lot of them are silence. They don't think it's their arena to get involved in. They're not stepping up and speaking about all issues that are not only important to their own business, but their industry as a total or as business owners as a community. When you look at your reason to get into being more an advocate in the political arena, what, what, what spurred that? What was the trigger, the spark that got you in there? I think, you know, if you're not advocating for your business, then you're not really in business, right? Like if you're in business, you're in politics. If you're, that's, that's the reality, right? You have to advocate for your business and your industry. How does someone like an average business owner get involved at now? Um, you know, different industries have different types of trade associations or things that you can participate in, which uh, we certainly believe in and we do. So we're members of URSA. Uh, the International Health and Racket Sport Association. We're also members of FIC, which is Fitness Industry Canada. So that's certainly much more on a local level. And the folks that uh, head up that organization in Canada in particular have done a phenomenal job advocating for our industry and, and fighting for industry. So everything from tax uh, laws that you know make things more difficult than they need to be uh, and or asking for waivers that just really are unnecessary and burdensome to even just making sure our voice is being heard on things like minimum wage, um, which again, I wanna pay people a fair wage and I want people to be able to earn, but even the recent announcement in BC of a dollar and 10 increase that was just announced, I mean, the reality is that'll cost my business $20,000 a month. And while everyone's like, well, good. Well, I mean, it's good up until what point? I think you've nailed something. Many times business owners like you and I or entrepreneurs have been seen as the villain, the bad guy in the story. As the cost of labor goes up, either because of an increase in minimum wage or purely because of supply and demand market conditions, we're entrepreneurs at the end of the day. We're going to be innovative enough to look at how we can help not only the business grow, not only help our customer, but also help the bottom line because we also have business partners, shareholders, we've taken risk, we wanna see a return on our investment as well. When we put all that into place, we're gonna be innovative. That's why we exist as business owners and entrepreneurs. At, at what point can businesses continue to be in business and or will there continue just to be an evolution in techno technological solutions that will just ultimately phase out a lot of these jobs, which is unfortunate. And that's going to be the reality. And you've seen this already in the fast food industry. I mean, it's all over the fast food industry. You can't walk into McDonald's now and talk to somebody. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to do. So when, when we have pol politicians that come out and say, we're just going to raise the minimum wage and that should, call, that should cure all the problems, they have to realize we're going to be innovative enough to make sure that everything fits. And we're going to look at technology to, to change things. And that's going to happen. And there's going to be technology companies that are going to come out and say, hey, look, you can have this technology and get rid of employees. That doesn't help the economy overall, especially for a demographic who rely on these entry-level jobs, on this experience that they need. Um, there's been a lot of economic studies that have been done already in a number of cities that were some of the first to move to, say, a $15 hourly wage, where they're now looking at it going, man, we, we need to really slow this down or rethink this because the overall you know changes and the kind of the domino effect, if you will, those unintended consequences are real in terms of jo job loss. 
right? There's a significant job loss that occurs when you push wages up that high because you're making all these technological solutions highly affordable at that point. And so, you know, that's going to be the harsh reality for a lot of those jobs, which again, I don't know that the folks making those decisions uh, as we've made them have been really contemplating that. I'm in agreement with you. I think that there's there needs to be more advocacy coming from business owners about this is not just about greed. This is about the bigger picture. I think if we take care of our employees, I think if we if we look for the long term for our employees, we can actually make a, ben- a benefit to them. But if we look purely at just minimum wage and those types of conditions, you're going to have entrepreneurs who are going to be innovative to make sure that they can reach all the goals, including the bottom line. Because any business that doesn't have a bottom line is going to fail over time. And I think that's what that's what the government needs to understand. What are two or three things business owners can do to get involved, to have um, parliament, have their uh, provincial legislation or their municipal uh, government uh, hear their voice? What can they do? Give me two or three ideas. Yeah. So in like in our case, right, the health minister and those ministers that were directly involved in, you know, on a daily basis. So you want to definitely have a relationship with them as best you can. Uh, so at a minimum, you certainly want to be writing to them and reaching out to their offices so they know who you are. Um, certainly your local MLA and same thing, kind of, you know, reaching out to them. And it's not just always to complain about things that you don't like, right? Invite them to your events, invite them to your grand openings, invite them to things that you're doing in your business as well, because they want to be part of that community. I mean, they ran all of their election platforms is that they're going to represent the people of that community. So invite them out, right? Have them involved in your business. So, you know, it's one thing to think about a fitness center and it's 25,000 square feet and employs 100 people. But when you see it in action and then you see all these people working out and having fun and the smiles on their faces, and then you realize that all those people in that building at that given time are part of, say, that constituency and part of that community, that's when I think you can really get the resonation that you're ultimately looking for um, with, you know, a particular leader that you're trying to, I don't even want to say influence, you're just trying to expose them to make an informed decision, right? I don't want to influence them to make a decision that they're not in agreement with. I just want to, you know, have them make an informed decision, understanding everything that's going on and the complexities around my communities, my clubs, my team members, um, et cetera, right? That, that's what I really want them to be able to do. From everything you've gone through over the last handful of years, many business owners would have just thrown in the towel long time ago. For those business owners who are going through some really shitty things right now, who think it's time to throw in the towel, what's your advice for them? Well, basically don't do it. Don't give up, right? Don't give in, don't give up, you know, kind of the old Jim Valvano speech when he was fighting cancer. You know, I did a lot of research when the bankruptcy initial happened about what happens to C-level leaders and this kind of adversity. And it was basically most of them never return to C-level work because of the amount of stress, trauma, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. And I was just kind of determined not to become a statistic. And although I had to terminate 2,000 people, I started doing the math. I said, well, if I do this right, I can put 700 or 1,000 people back to work. And if I don't put these people back to work, I'm not sure anyone else will. And and I and I just really wanted that for a bit of a redemption story as well, right? Because again, I didn't agree with what happened to the big business in the beginning of it all. And so this was my ability to kind of prove it, right? So if you think that you're so right, then do it, which I did. You know, I don't know a lot of people that borrowed $11 million during the height of the pandemic, but I did. And I went for it and I've got a bunch of people to work and we're doing great and the business is going well and we're growing and thriving. And, you know, the business advice is kind of simple, right? But it's kind of no risk it, no biscuit, 
right? So if you if you really want something and you're willing to work for it and you're going to go after it and you're willing to pour your heart and your soul into it like any entrepreneur would, which means, again, early morning, late night, seven days a week, if that's what's needed, then you can make anything happen. It's not necessarily manifesting it, but I'm going to outwill it, right? I'm just not going to be outworked. I'm not going to be out hustled. And we're just going to grind until we can make ourselves get where we need to go. And so I would tell any entrepreneur or any owner that's on tough times, as, as, as much as they might think it's not possible, I'd say work harder and then maybe work smarter as well. But there is a way. There's always a way. That was fantastic, Chris. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for more from the Kermali Exchange and leave a comment to join the conversation. See you next time.